0: And we're going to jump into this week's message as we continue on in the book of Acts. Um, we are going to talk about maybe, uh, arguably, one of the most influential people in all of history. You could make a case that the Apostle Paul is one of the most influential people in all of, of history. Um, and he, his claim to fame is what he did to advance the gospel, being maybe the largest proponent of Jesus Christ ever and the the efforts that he put forth in terms of um, planting churches and going on missionary journeys and and speaking to people and leading people and caring for people. But as we learned last week, Paul didn't start out that way. Paul started out as a literal destroyer of the church. He was hell-bent on destroying the body of Jesus Christ, his church. And that is right where Jesus found him. Paul was on his donkey, on his way to Damascus, and Jesus knocked him off that donkey, blinded him, humbled him, healed him, and changed his life forever. So fast forward 30 years from that point, and we find Paul in a Roman jail, jail cell, joyfully penning a letter to one of the many churches that he planted. So what, what is it that takes somebody from a destroyer of church. Paul's job when he was destroying churches was to find people who were following Jesus, put them on trial, imprison them, punish, punish them, and sometimes that even meant putting them to death. How do we go from that to joyfully sitting in a Roman prison cell writing to his, the people who he helped lead to Christ? Well, the answer to that question is the, the same as the answer to all of life's big questions. Why am I here? What is my purpose? How should I live while I'm here? Where am I going? It's also the answer to um, what we might consider smaller questions. How am I supposed to live my everyday life? How what do I do at work? How do I live with my family? What do I do with my relationships? The answer to all of those questions is the same. And we're gonna we're gonna take a, a kind of a detour out of the book of Acts into the book of Philippians. That was actually the letter that Paul was writing from that Roman jail cell. And scholars tell us it was probably around the year 62 AD when Paul was writing that letter. So it's 25 to 30 years from his Damascus road experience. And he was writing that letter to his spiritual children. And he wanted to let them know how he was doing, that yes, he was in prison, but he was okay. And they shouldn't be sad for him. They shouldn't be upset about that. He was writing to Uh, Say thank you. They had sent some financial help along his way. And actually, he was requesting more for some of uh, his co workers, some of his other laborers in Christ. And he's writing to them out of a sense of joy. More than a dozen times in this little four chapter book, Paul uses a a form of the word joy. And so, this is where we're going to find the answer to how did Paul go from becoming a destroyer of the church to this huge proponent of Jesus Christ. So we're in Philippians chapter, t- chapter three, and we're gonna read verses one through 14. Here we go. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. When he says the same things again, it's a, what he's about to say that's kind of a repeat. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. He's referring to a group of people called the Judaizers who felt that in order for people to become Christians, to follow Jesus, they first had to meet all the law requirements of Judaism. So they first had to become Jewish before they could become Christians. That's who he's referring to here. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. A couple times in his letters, Paul gets a little bit snarky, and that's what he's doing um, right here. He's saying, you want to play that game? You want to talk about having to be an expert in Judaism? Here we go. Listen up. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider then garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So our big idea for today is simply this. The goal of the Christian life is to know Jesus. That's what those 14 verses come down to. We're going to unpack that and break that down a little bit, but that's what it means. Paul, that transition, that transformation That metamorphosis that happened in Paul was because he came to know Jesus. He knew him personally. He knew him experientially. He knew him deeply, desperately. Jesus became the only thing that mattered to Paul. He chased after him, eyes fixed on him. It was the only thing that mattered to Paul. And that was what he spent all of his life, pouring himself out, exhausting himself, chasing down Jesus. He wanted to know Jesus. He uses this term, in Christ. I, I think the number I remember was like 150 times in the, the 13 letters that he wrote. He wants to be found in Christ. He wants to grow in Christ. He wants to gain Christ. I found this awesome, awesome definition in this old-timey Christian dictionary. Listen to this. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. Gain Christ, right? Here it is. Of so practically appropriating Christ to oneself that he becomes the dominating power in And over one's whole being and circumstances. The dominating power in and over one's whole being and circumstances. Man, that is just like, I don't know if I will ever get to that point, but I would love for that to be said of me that I've, that's how I feel about Jesus. And I think maybe more than anything, that if we take a look at verse 10, it will tell us just really. What, how Paul feels about Jesus. And it's this verse that has always kind of troubled me and I never, never really got it. I'm gonna put it back up on the screen real quick. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And here's the part that confuses me. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Participation in his sufferings. So right off the bat, we rule out, we know we don't earn our relationship with Jesus. We don't earn a place with God so sufferings don't earn us that relationship with Jesus. There are those who suggest that, that suffering, um, the Christian life is inherently risky. So that suffering is just part of the territory. If you're going to follow Jesus, sometimes being in the middle of the will of God is the right place to be, but sometimes it's dangerous. And I think that is absolutely true. Sometimes it is dangerous and risky. However, I really feel like God press this on me this week. And um, I, I think the reason why Paul says he wants to share, he wants to participate in Jesus' suffering is this, is that wherever Paul found Jesus, that's where Paul wanted to be. It didn't matter, right? He says in, in his death, in his resurrection, in his death, in his sufferings, all the good and the bad, Paul wanted to be with Jesus, and I'll share with you this illustration. Um, it's a it's a comparison in kind only, not to not to degree. Uh, so when when our kids were little, Gail and I, you know, we didn't get out all that all that often. And so when we did, it was a it was a big deal. You know, like three hours. We had a babysitter, or my mom was with the boys, or whatever. And so if we went out, and I was a younger man then, and some of the rougher edges, God still hadn't sanded off. Um, I would get really, really angry if we're on our way out and we ran into traffic. And I'm like, we have like three hours on our own and we're sitting in traffic, please. And Gail, being the calmer, wiser one, she would reach over and put her hand on my arm as I'm driving, or if I was really upset, she would reach over and she would put her hand on my face, be like, hey, it's okay, doesn't matter where we are as long as I'm with you, right? It didn't matter to her where we were, whether we were in traffic, or sitting at a nice restaurant, or in a movie, whatever it was, as long as we were together. And that's where Paul came to in his life. Didn't matter what Jesus was doing. As long as Jesus was there, that's where Paul wanted to be, to know Jesus in that way, to gain him, so that Jesus might dominate every part of who Paul was. This is not just Paul, but this is the constant call of scripture, I try not to um, bounce around a lot all throughout the Bible when when I teach and preach, but I'm gonna make you guys bounce around a little bit. I wanna look at Jeremiah chapter nine, verses 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me. There it is, to know me. This is God talking, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness And justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. So all that stuff that the world says that we should chase after, riches and wisdom and honor, it doesn't matter, right? Don't don't, it's not worth it. If you want to boast about anything, take all of your energy, all of your heart, all of your desire, and chase after Jesus and come to know him, and then boast about that. Then you have something to boast about. Next verse. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. That is is Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God. There it is. The knowledge of God and of, our, of Jesus our Lord. Sometimes we think that grace and peace and hope and love, that that's, that's the be all and end all. Those are awesome. Those are uh, effects. Of the Christian life. Jesus is the goal, right? Jesus is what we should be pursuing, not those things. When we pursue Jesus, we get those things as an add-on. So when we pursue Jesus, we get things like grace and peace and mercy. The next verse is from Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity, here it is: in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ is found in knowing Him, right? Those those descriptors: uh, pastors, apostles, teachers, shepherds. Those uh, we we all fall into one of those categories, right? We all are are created with a certain bent or gifting. That means we all have the responsibility to help others grow in the knowledge of Jesus so that they might eventually reach that fullness in him. All right, last one. This is Jesus himself talking. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There it is. Sometimes we think about eternal life being way out there in the future, something we have to you know, that happens after we die. Dallas Willard says that we can have that eternal kind of life now. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait. With the knowledge of Jesus comes that eternal kind of life here and now. So we have Paul's great example. We have the constant call of Scripture. Knowing Jesus is the, the goal of the Christian life. So what, what happens? What, we get tripped up and... Um, we don't all live like Paul, right? We don't all follow that call of Scripture constantly like we could or we should. And sometimes I think we mistake um, the results of Christianity for being the goal, right? So sometimes we think maybe that the goal of the Christian life is the elimination of sin. Sometimes we think the goal of the Christian life is simply to get to heaven, or, or maybe it's service, Those things are all good things. Those are all things of Jesus that he calls us to, but it's only in pursuit of him that we should go after those things and that we're actually even able to do those things. I don't think if Paul just had this checklist, it's like, all right, I gotta stop swearing, I gotta, you know, I gotta get my stuff together, I gotta stop gossiping, and then I gotta go, I gotta go to Ephesus, I gotta go to Galatia, I gotta go to Thessalonica. If he had a checklist. If that was what he was doing, if he was just like, okay, I got to get some stuff done, I don't think he would have accomplished a tenth of what he did. Paul was in pursuit of Jesus. And as he was pursuing Jesus, he was brought all around the known world. And, and in following Jesus, he did amazing things. He and his co-workers and, and Peter and Silas and Epaphroditus and all the guys that we're going to read about in the back half of the book of Acts, in their pursuit of Jesus, they followed Jesus into his work and they did amazing, amazing things. So Paul, um, Paul is a funny guy. He, give, he gave us this list. I told you he got a little, a little snarky. And the lists are important. I want to draw your attention back to them. That first list is, um, it's kind of, it's what Paul's life was before he met Jesus But it's also a description of those people who were trying to add stuff to Jesus. So let's just, we'll jump back there real quick. This is Paul talking about why he can be so confident, right? Jokingly, sarcastically, though I myself have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he proceeds to circumcised on the eighth day. That means his parents followed the letter of the law of the people of Israel both of his parents were Israelites of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin had a special place in all the tribes. The first king came from the tribe of, of Benjamin. The, um, the way the allotments of land came out, special places went to the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law of Pharisee. That means he kept the law down to the smallest tiny detail. As for zeal persecuting the church, he was passionate about doing what he thought was right for God, and as for righteousness based on a law faultless. He followed that law. He wasn't perfect. That was, Jesus was the only one, but he followed that law as good as anyone did. And so we think about like maybe a, a summary of, of those things, and we look at our, maybe our life before Jesus, and we think, all right, if we have right beliefs and right actions and r- the right background and the right passions, then... We'll be, we'll be all right with God. So I want you right now, you're watching online, I want you to jump in the chat box and I want you to let me know what were some of the things that you thought would make you right with God, that you thought were, um, would bring you closer to God before you came to know Jesus. Um, go ahead, right now, actually, put that, put that in the chat. For me, what that looked like um, was a couple of things. The first, the first was... Um, well I just I had like this Hollywood picture of God. I think at some level I always believed in in God, but it was more of like the cosmic bookkeeper kind of God rather than this this personal relationship that the, he wanted to have with me. So my hope was that I could do enough good things, I could be kind enough, maybe look out for the underdog enough that it would in the end it would balance out some of the horrible things that I did and I might Eke my way into heaven and into into God's presence. Um, so I don't know. What do you guys think? Are you are you putting that in the chat box? What are some of the things that you thought would bring you closer to God before you met Jesus? Another thing that kind of gets in our way is that we'll chase after things like they were a god, right? Paul chased after those things, persecuting the church. Everything that he had went into trying to destroy the church before he came to know Jesus because that's what he thought was the most important thing. And for me, it was, um, I had this idol in my life, right? This, the thing that took all my attention, all my effort, and it was, I was driven to success. Um, maybe more accurately, it, I was, had this fear of failure or a fear that I would be perceived as a failure. And that's where all my energy went. That's where my eyes were fixed. That's what I strove after more than anything else. I want to move on to another one of Paul's lists. And this kind of jumps ahead to his life after he meets Jesus. And again, this is, this is him kind of being snarky, talking to people who think um, that he's not really all that. So this is 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter, uh, chapter 11, starting in verse 21, the second half of it. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Very similar to that first list we looked at, right? Here it comes. This is the stuff that he has done since he came to know Jesus. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open seas. I have been constantly on the move. I have been danger rivers, in danger from rivers, and danger from bandits, and danger from my fellow Jews, and danger from Gentiles, and danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul did some pretty amazing stuff in the name of Jesus for Jesus. And you can kind of break it down into categories of of serving and sacrifice and suffering. And those are all good things. But like we just read in the Philippians, Paul counted those things as nothing. Not only nothing, but in some of the translations, he thought they were offensive when they were compared to knowing Jesus right in some translations it said he considered them rubbish and the actual word that he used was a lot harsher than that we we have an emoji for it now and it's not a trash can so um it was he that's how offensive that he felt that stuff was relative to knowing Jesus and when you take this to to an extreme we can even do um Jesus-y things, right, and have it get in the way of our knowing Jesus. I'm drawn to an end here, and I want to wrap up with this quote as kind of a warning as we pursue Jesus not to let the things of Jesus get in the way of Jesus himself. So this quote that I'm going to read to you is from a gentleman named Charles Swindoll, and he led a very large seminary. Here we go. I'll never forget a letter I read from a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary where I serve as chancellor. He wrote of his gratitude for his years at our fine institution. What troubled me was that he also lamented that when he arrived, he was deeply in love with Jesus Christ. But when he left, he had fallen more in love with the biblical text. For all the right reasons, our professors did their best to teach him the scriptures, but he left loving the Bible more than he loved his savior. To use Paul's words, the serpent seduced him. After a few rough years in ministry, he came to realize that he needed to love Christ. I don't remember his using these precise words, but he admitted that he had to look intently at his schedule to face the truth of his drift and to carve out time to get back to a simple devotion to Christ. So guys, I'm not at all trying to discourage you from reading the Bible. The Bible is hugely important. It's made an incredible difference in my life. I, I'm not sure where I would be without it. But when we put the things of Jesus before Jesus, we get lost and we lose, we lose track of him. Just like the gentleman who wrote that letter, he lost track of what he was doing. So what are we to do? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal two kind of application questions for you from Pastor Matt Chandler. When he taught on this text, he used these questions. I'm gonna put them up on the screen for you. First one is this, what stirs your affections for Jesus? What stirs your affections for Jesus? So just to kind of give you an example, well first of all, there's a couple things that we should all be looking to to stir our affections for Jesus. Absolutely the Bible, God's most direct way of communicating with us. We should be looking to prayer. That's the gift God gave to us to communicate with him. And we should all be engaging in worship so we can let God know how we feel about him. We can respond to God all the time. Then there's the fact that we are all created differently in a unique way. We're all wired individually. So for me, what stirs my affections for Jesus, and I, people think I'm crazy, and I've shared this with, with you guys before, is that when I am being physical, when I'm running, when I'm working out, I don't, I've had some of the most intense moments of worship and experiencing Jesus amidst those things. So not only when I don't feel like getting up off the couch and running because it's good for me, it's also an opportunity for me to gain Christ. Um, I feel the same way about cooking, the process of like enjoying what God has put in front of us, the fact that he's provided, the fact that I can try to make something for my family, my friends, my loved ones, that stirs my affections for Jesus. So what is it for you? While I'm wrapping up here, if you guys want to, you can go ahead and put that in the chat box as well. And then the flip side of that is this. Oops, wrong way. The flip side of that is this: What hinders your affections for Jesus? What hinders your affections for Jesus? And just to help you out, by way of example, um, one of the and it's not doesn't necessarily have to be like the 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 big stuff, um, but even even just the little stuff. If I spend too much time um, focused on other people, I can get distracted and my energies can get drawn in a bad direction. And what I mean by that is this. If I'm, if I'm looking at maybe folks that I grew up with or my buddies from college, I'm going to be looking at whatever, their, their family, their finances, their homes, what, what they do for a living. And my energies, instead of being uh, directed toward chasing after Jesus, they're going to be directed in this other direction and how to go after those things. So I have to be really careful about that because I know that will hinder my affections for Jesus. So two questions for you to leave with. What is it that stirs your affections for Jesus? And what is it that inhibits or hinders your affections for Jesus? I want you guys to spend some time this week wrestling with those questions. Maybe share them with a trusted friend or a group leader um, and just get, get into that and do, do some work with that. So you guys, that's the answer to the question. What is it that took Paul from being a destroyer of the church to a world changer for Jesus? It's knowing Jesus. And that's what the back half of the, of the book of Acts is all about. Paul and a handful of other people's and what they, what they did in pursuit of Jesus, the amazing things that we did. So you guys, like I'm always saying to us, as we move forward, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We pursue him. We, we seek to know him, to be in him, to gain him. And as a result, God will do amazing things in us and through us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you um, that you are so worthy. God, that there is nothing, nothing that compares to you. God, all of our efforts, the best things in life are are garbage compared to knowing you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do a work in us and create that desire in us to chase after you like Paul did. And God, we look so forward to seeing what you're going to do in and through us as we pursue you. Lord Jesus, you are worthy. We love you and we thank you. Amen.